Some time ago when I was praying and asking the Lord about this Sunday, this New Year's Sunday, that verse of Scripture that I quoted to you before we prayed really began to burn in my heart. That God will make even the hard places overflow with abundance. And we've had a number of families in our church recently go through some very hard places. But God has caused them to overflow with abundance. And there's some of you that if you're sitting here today, that you know that the very reason you're here is because of a miracle that God did in your life. There's some of you sitting here today that about a year ago, things looked hopeless. But God has a way, if we will be faithful, if we will just be faithful to Him and hold steady in a storm, not lose our faith, not lose our hope, not lose our trust, then God will cause even those hard places to overflow with abundance. And then when I read the rest of that verse, and really it's the first part of that verse, and God says, I will crown your year. Well, the question that comes to my mind is, Lord, how do I walk in that path? How do I stay in the middle of that path? When I was 17 years old, there were a lot of things that just didn't make a lot of sense to me, but I really, about a year after I became a Christian, I really became convinced the more I read the Gospels, the more I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I just read them over and over again, that as a teenager, it dawned on me that what I needed more than anything was to discover this path, this narrow way that Jesus talked about. I shared with you a few weeks ago, back in the latter part of last year, of how that it's relatively a recent thing where people talk about seeking God's will, seeking guidance and direction from God. The Jewish people and the early church, they talked about doing the will of God. They talked about and they had a confidence in the Bible that they knew what the will of God was and they lived in that. That's what Jesus was talking about, that path. So I was mentioning to Rick in the first service, this doesn't sound like a lot of money today, but... It was a lot of money back in 1972. I bought a Thompson Chain Reference Bible for $65. That was a lot of money. And what I would do is I would run every reference in that Bible about God's will and what God had to say. And I'd highlight it, I'd mark it, I'd read about it, I'd talk to others about it, and I just began to pour my life into what is God's will? What is God's plan? What does God have to say in his word about life? What does God have to say in his word about our careers? What does God have to say about, I remember the first time I sat down and did a study on what God had to say about healing, what God had to say about money, what God had to say about marriage. When I began to study these things and to look at them carefully and run them through, it was liberating to me because all of a sudden I didn't find myself hoping, oh God, oh God, show me what to do. The Bible told me what to do. And I found that as I obeyed God's word and obeyed God's plan, that all of a sudden supernatural things really did begin to happen in my life. I found that 
I became stronger. I became healthier. I became more confident. I became more peaceful. I found that by doing what God said, you could excel. But I also found there was this battle as well. Because there were some things that God said to do that when God was doing miracles in my life, when God was healing, when God was giving me peace and giving me, I didn't have confidence. God was giving me that confidence. There was another part of me that wanted to do things differently sometimes than what God said to do it. As a matter of fact, I found myself saying, oh, I've, I've accomplished this, I've achieved this, and therefore I ought to do this. And I discovered then, and I went and talked with a pastor one time, a pastor that I respect, I still respect, he's a very elderly man. And he took me to Romans chapter 7 and 8. He said, you've got all of these themes, you're getting a grasp on them, but never forget, you're going to always wrestle with a very selfish part of yourself that wants your own way. And he said, if you don't learn to restrain that, you may know a lot about the Word of God, but you'll shipwreck your life and you'll shipwreck other people's lives as well because there's a selfish part of you, that sinful part of you, that sin nature that we wrestle against. If we're not careful, we'll be tempted to think, I did this rather than give God the glory for what God has done in our lives. Does that make sense to you? So today, I really want to talk to you about embracing God's plan for your life. I want to talk to you about learning God's plan, understanding God's plan. I want to talk to you and bring you to a realization that you can trust God's plan more than sometimes you can trust your own desires. And if you will follow God's plan in your life, then God will bless you, God will prosper you, God will cause you to increase. You will see God at work in your life, but you have to trust God's plan. But that never doesn't mean that you won't go through some hard places, but you're gonna have to stand in those hard places and trust that God will make those hard places overflow with abundance. Because the mistake I see a lot of Christians make, when things get hard, they run. When things get hard, they give up. When things get hard, they get discouraged. When things get hard, they think it's not working. But God says, I will make even the hard places overflow with abundance if you will trust me and you'll stand with me. So this morning, I want to take you to the word of the Lord, and we're going to go through kind of quickly this morning several things that I think will help you get your new year off not only to a good start, but hopefully set you up for the rest of this series as well. So would you stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord? And before I preach, I just want to stop and say thank you for all of you who called me to encourage me during the first half of the Georgia Bulldog game last Monday night. There are some very godly people in this church. There are a couple of you that you need to get saved. You're reprobates. You were texting me or you were calling me, mocking the Georgia Bulldogs. But there were some of you, you stood in the hard place with me and we rejoiced in the abundance, didn't we? What a great ball game that was. Now, I need you to stand with me tomorrow night, too, because we're going up against Alabama. And um, so, who said roll tide? Ushers, will you escort? Never mind. <laughs> 
So tomorrow night is going to be a big game. Somebody came to me with a real serious look and says, Pastor, can you come help me tomorrow night? And I had that selfish nature. I was like, no, please, not tomorrow night. <laughs> and I said, sure. What do you need? He goes, I'm just teasing. I just want to see if you would. Reprobates, reprobates, reprobates. Well, let's get back to the Word. <laughs> oh, Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. And you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. You know, it's a foolish thing to oppose God. It's a dangerous thing to oppose God. Because God's got this way of letting you run for a while. And then when he yanks, oh boy, do you ever regret it. And even if he doesn't yank, when you close your eyes in death and you stand before this holy, dreadful God, God is not someone to be trifled with. He loves you. And if you will love him and follow him, he'll pour out blessing after blessing. But he is not someone to be trifled with. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your finger, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Don't you love that humility? David looks up into the night sky and these people, we have this thought sometimes that people that weren't born in our generation, they're not as smart as we are. But friends, I got to tell you, these were geniuses. These were not only political geniuses and spiritual geniuses and thought, they were geniuses. But they were men of God, women of God. And he looks up and he sees the vastness of creation. Now, he didn't know that all of creation was moving, that even the stars are moving. And he looks and he says, who am I that you're mindful of me? And it's not that he has this self-esteem problem. He just realizes how great and how big God is. And when he realizes how great and how big God is, then God gives him a revelation and he suddenly begins to realize who he is. You made them only a little lower than God and you crowned them with glory and honor. In other words, you made us just a little lower than yourself. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. All the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. In other words, he sees man's not an accident. You are not an ecological accident. You are not a product of evolutionary happenstance. But God created you. God put you here. on. God put you here for this time just like you put David there for his time. When you know, look at me, when you know who God is, suddenly you get this healthy and holy comprehension of who you are. And nobody can take that from you. Oh, Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. And then I give you a couple of other passages to look at later. Heavenly Father, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus on this first Sunday of the new year, would you make this a prophetic Sunday, Lord? We don't want to waste a day. God, we don't want to waste a second. 
Lord, we don't want to be obsessive, compulsive, but we want God to do everything we can to glorify and magnify you, to use wisely what you've blessed us with, to enjoy it, and Lord, to expand it and increase it. And so, Lord, I'm asking you that in this series you will equip us and that we'll embrace this wonderful plan you have for us. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Fire up your pen and follow along with me this morning. I think stewardship is probably the most misunderstood word in the whole wide world. Because whenever you say the word stewardship, most people think of money. We don't do stewardship campaigns around here. We don't do stewardship drives around here where we ask members of the congregation and a lot of churches, most, a lot of you come from churches that did that. You've told me about it. And I'm not criticizing that. We just have a different philosophy of ministry based upon what the word says. We don't go canvassing our members and our attenders and saying, what do you think you're going to give this year and how much do you plan on giving the church? In other words, we recognize and try to teach some very biblical principles from the Word of God about stewardship, living life, and managing life as God wants us to. So the first thing we come to in stewardship is that God is the owner and we are the stewards. If you put that up there. God is the owner and we are the stewards. And if you want a good word for stewards, a good word for stewards is managers, Those of you that have businesses, you know what it means to get a good manager. You get a good manager that can come in and manage your business well when you're not there that's honest and trustworthy, dependable, punctual, and shows up on time and has a good relationship with the other employees and knows how to relate to people and encourage people and knows how to be there to help them get their jobs done. You know how valuable a good manager is. But you also know that a manager, a good manager, never forgets the store or the business is not his, but it belongs to you if you own the business. I used to work for a man when I was at Southeastern College that owned Florida Office Supply. And Joe was very kind to me, and I wanted to learn about business and how business worked. And he owned uh, office supply companies in Orlando and Tampa and Naples. He owned owned them all over the state of Florida. Very well-to-do man. And there were these railroad cars that would pull up to their warehouses, and he would have all this furniture back in the day when you warehoused everything before there was Amazon and things of that nature. But I'll never forget forget what Joe told me one day. Joe said the most important people in my organization are the managers. He said they know more about what's going on in the stores than what I know. They're the ones that meet the customer base. They're the ones that do life in the communities. My managers are the most important people. And when I get a good manager, I take care of that manager. I be sure that manager not only has what he needs to do his job with, but I reward the manager and I, I praise the manager. And he talked to me so importantly about taking care of people that worked with you and then getting rid of people who didn't manage well because of what they could do to the morale of the company. Recently, I was talking with a young woman that I know in our community, and and she has been a faithful employee and worked her way up, and uh, we bumped into each other, and so we stopped and spent about 15 or 20 minutes talking, and she says, I've got to tell you something. She said, I've just been promoted manager of my own store. I, I have been trusted with the whole store, and we talked about management principles, and she was so excited. And, and I asked her, I said, why do you think you got the position? Because she doesn't have a college degree. She doesn't have the background that you might think that a manager would have. She says, my 
boss or the guy that owns the company that she's managing says, I make people feel appreciated. And when they feel appreciated, they come back. And so I said to her, what do you know about money? What do you know about income and all this? She says, my boss has promised to train me and to equip me. And I thought, what a smart man to take and invest in this young woman and realize how important it was that he take care of the managers. Well, every one of us in here are managers. God is the owner and we are the managers. God has given us time. God has given us talent. God has given us treasure. God has given us a life. God has given us health. God has given us a voice. Management is not about money, but management is about how you live your life. And coincidentally, Jesus uses the phrase steward to talk about a lot more than money. He uses the phrase steward to talk about life. One sixth of the verses in the New Testament, remember I told you I would read over and over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And one of the things that I kept finding, and then I traced it through my Thompson Chain Reference Bible, one of the things that I kept finding turned up the word steward, the parable of the good steward, the parable of the unfair faithful steward. And the word for steward is someone that manages the assets that belong to somebody else. I'll tell you this. Jesus talked about stewardship more than he talked about heaven or hell. And so it's important that you and I understand every one of us in this room is a steward. And so it's important that you think of your home as a municipality. It's important that you think of your, your time and your talents and your treasures, that suddenly you have a community. And all of you that are married in here, you understand that in some ways a home is like a business. You've got income, you've got outflow, you've got children that you want to raise to be responsible citizens, not lazy people. You've got children you want to train to know how to work. You understand if, if the husband and wife both work, there's got to be a sharing of responsibility. And guys, a few years ago, I put up an article from the Wall Street Journal that husbands that helped their wives with housework had better love lives than guys that didn't help their wives with housework. I love mopping floors now. <laughs> it's just so important that you share those responsibilities and be a part of that. I tell you, we understand what it means to be managers. It's been from the very beginning. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God place the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. That word tend actually means to manage or to steward. Now, here's the thing that you and I both know. Not everybody uses the gifts and the resources that God has given us the way God intended them to be used. And I'll guarantee you there's some of us, and I want you to listen carefully, Every one of us in this room, not some of us, but every one of us in this room, we've made some mistakes that we wish we hadn't have made when it comes to managing life, haven't we? We've mismanaged relationships, we've mismanaged money, we've mismanaged time, we've mismanaged opportunities, we've mismanaged responsibilities. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't live with some regret. So I want you to do something I don't normally ask you to do, I want you, and I wish that more of our people were here today because I'm going to say this again, you're going to hear this again because they got to know this. I want you to look around this room right now. Just look around this room. You have no reason to feel embarrassed about some of the decisions you've made because you're sitting with other people that's made some of the same dumb decisions that you and I have made. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? That's true of everybody. That's true of everybody. 
We've all made some mistakes. Every presidential biography that I've read, every single presidential autobiography that I've read, I should say, every single one of them, they've wrote about the mistakes they've made and how they wish they hadn't have made them. I've not read a single one yet that doesn't have some regrets. You're not going to live life without having made some mistakes and having some regrets in life. So don't feel like, oh, I can't, you know, be honest. Friends, the best way to approach this is to be honest. Not everybody uses the resources that God intended it, but God intended for you to be one of his managers. When God created creation, let's, let's go back for just a moment. When God created creation, every single creation day, he looked at it and says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He had this good creation. And every once in a while, I'll watch one of these dumb national, and you can quote me on that. Becky's not here. She's sick today. Just don't tell Becky I said that. Every once in a while, I watch one of these dumb National Geographic movies. I'll watch one of these dumb Discovery movies, and they will talk about how perfect the world was before man entered into it, and they will talk about man being the problem with the world. Man is not the problem with the world. Sin is the problem with the world. When God created the world, everything he created was good, but God wanted one more thing in this world, and this was human beings. And when he created human beings, he created human beings and says, now it's very good because I've got somebody to manage it. I've got somebody to take care of it. I've got somebody to steward it. I've got somebody to enjoy it. I've got somebody that will embrace it. I've got somebody that will multiply it. And so he says to Adam and Eve, I want you to multiply and replenish and fill the earth. And we've done a pretty good job of doing that one, haven't we? You see, that's the thing. People are needed. People are needed in our world. God wants us to steward and to care for. But our problem is we forget what we were made for. We forget that we were made to be managers and to be stewards, and we live like we own it all. I just felt so sorry for Mike. I sat with Mike and we cried and we wept together and then their family gathered in my office. Sheila was going to retire this year. And the plans that they had and the things they wanted to do with their children, Tina and David. You see, friends, I want you to listen to me carefully this morning. I said I was praying this year would be prophetic. You live this life for only 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and then you return to the Lord, and everything that you think you own passes on to somebody else. Everything you think you own becomes, and then you stand before God, and you give an accounting for how you managed not what you owned, but how you managed what God loaned to you to use for his glory and honor. You say, Pastor, what do I own? What do I have? I'm not a business person. I don't have this. I don't have large checking accounts. I don't have large savings. What do I have? You have time. And you know, people who manage time well, they don't live under pressure. You have talent. People who take their talent and discover their talent and develop their talent and then use their talents for God's glory, they don't live under pressure because they're not living with this unused talent in their life. If you're a musician or you have musical desire, get with Pastor Mark and let him help you develop those musical careers. If you want to learn how to manage, if you have an interest in money and how to make money, and how, there's people. Don't come to me, but I'll put you in touch with people that will teach you how to make money 
money and earn money and invest money, but they won't teach you how to make money. The people I'll connect you with won't teach you how to make money so that you'll live a consumptive lifestyle. They'll teach you how to make money so that you can enjoy it, but so that you can learn how to enrich other people with what God has blessed you with. You see, God didn't create us to be consumptive. There are several things the Bible says that they're consumptive, they have enough, they don't have enough. Things like the grave, things like the leech, things like the immoral person in life. They're always saying, give me more, give me more, give me more. But the man or the woman of God takes what God has given them and they make more with it. They say, Master, you gave me this much money and I made you this much money with it. Master, you gave me this much money, I made you this much money with it. And God says to those two servants, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You didn't consume it, but you expanded it and you enriched others when you did it. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? And it's what we do with our lives, our talent, our health. It's what we do with everything about us. I was sitting on a plane one time, asked for my newspaper when the, this was in the days we still called them stewardesses and stewards. And those are good names. Flight attendants doesn't really do anything. And if you're a flight attendant, forgive me, but a flight attendant, a, a steward or a stewardess means that they're responsible to take care of the plane and its passengers. They're responsible for your safety. They're responsible to see that everybody, an attendant, that doesn't carry the same word. And it's okay that we've changed. I'm not, but I just want you to see how important that word stewardship is. If you've ever been on a ship, they have ship stewards. But I sat down and the stewardess, I asked for a paper and the lady sitting next to me, she says, "Ah, I can't believe you're reading a newspaper. Excuse me? She said, I would never read a newspaper. I said, what do you got against the news? I don't have anything against the news. It's the trees that you, do you know how many trees you cut down to read that newspaper? I said, where are you from? I'm from London. I said, ma'am, I'm from South Georgia. You may not know where that is, but we're one of those colonies that beat your king up. And we grow pine trees, and we cut them down for paper, and then we plant more pine trees. It's like planting corn and wheat. We're not destroying anything. We're providing jobs. We're providing homes. We're providing things that people need. And we just cut them down and plant them again because that just makes good common horse sense. Don't you think so? She didn't talk to me for the rest of the flight, thank God. You know, friends, we look at the world and there are some people I know that just waste what God has given us. They just cut it down. You know, I walked on the back of our, pro- I walk all over this property praying and back in the fall I was walking on our property. We had a beautiful deer back there and somebody killed the deer and just let it lay there. Cut its head off and let it lay there and rot and I was so furious. You should have heard the imprecatory prayer I prayed about their teeth falling out, you know, and just, it just angered me. We're not, you know, people that waste, they're not being good managers. But God calls us to manage what he's given us. Let me show you something. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things, say that with me, sustaining all things, one more time, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Two things I want you to get from this. Number one, God created everything. Everything belongs to him by right of creation. Number two, God sustains everything. God created everything. God sustains everything. Which leads me to the second thing I want you to see. Stewardship 
embraces partnership. Stewardship, and you are a partner with God. God is your business partner. There was a book written a number of years called, near, number of years ago called God is My Co-Pilot. How many of you have ever heard of that book? It's an old book. Well, the, the author of that book is from my hometown, Macon, Georgia. The plane he flew is at the Air Force Base right next to us in Warner Robins, Georgia. And unless he's died since I've moved up here, he still gives a stirring testimony and a, just, a, just a wonderful man and a wonderful guy. But the point I want to make to you is, it was later in life that um, somebody said, I don't want God to be my co-pilot. I want God to be my pilot. They hadn't read his book, obviously. What he was talking about was the co-pilot being so important in the cockpit with him, especially in those battle missions that he flew. You see, friends, life is a battle. And if you ever forget that, you're going to be sorely surprised. The Bible tells us we're involved in a warfare whether we like it or not. We're battling against not flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We're battling against powers of darkness. They're out to wreck your marriage. They're out to wreck our nation, to wreck our communities. This power of sin that's at work in our world, we're in a battle. And God calls us into a partnership with him that, listen now, listen, we will win this battle. We will overcome in this battle. We not only will be sustained in this battle, but we will conquer in this battle if we simply come to terms. We have to do it God's way. And Pastor Mark did such a great job. If you'll look right over here, and it's on your bulletin as well, I ask him to put roots under these trees because the roots represent God's plan. You've got to be rooted and you've got to be grounded in Christ. You have got to let your roots go deep into the Word of God. You've got to consume the Word of God. You've got to meditate upon the Word of God, think upon the Word of God, and then practice the Word of God because God has not called you to defeat. God has not called you to failure. God has not called you you to be a doormat. God has called you to be more than an overcomer. And God says it is the overcomers that will join with him in the kingdom of heaven. We are called to be more than victors in this life that we live in. And it's so important that we understand that. The Goldie family moved to Arizona this week. He very quickly, James got a job offer that they felt like they should take in Arizona. And Saturday morning, James and Christine and, and the girls and I, we were having breakfast together, and Christine was reading me some things from the messages that I preached that she had, that, that she had written down over the, all the years. She says, Pastor, my very favorite statement you make, she says, and I will remember this for the rest of my life, and I've had to quote it so many times, is, I can swing across hell on a rotten corn stalk and spit the devil in the eye and say, come on, victory, as long as I live in the Word of God. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I believe that. I have lived that. I know that. God has called us. You don't have to live in fear. You can live in confidence. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 9. We are co-workers belonging to God. The third thing I want you to see is stewardship embraces the hope of Christ's returns. I'm looking forward to Jesus coming back. As I was writing and reflecting and thinking, I tried to go back. Now listen, I want you, this is important. I tried to go back over the years and think of a time when I was ever afraid of a job review. I tried to go back and think of a time when I worked in mental health, when I worked for Joe in the office supply company. I've tried to think of a time when I've ever dreaded a board meeting. And I could not think of a time where I've ever dreaded that. 
Now, I'm not saying that every meeting has always been pleasant, but I'm telling you, I couldn't think of a time I dreaded it. Because when you live and manage well, you can live without pressure. People who don't manage well live under pressure. If you don't manage your checkbook well, you're going to live under pressure. Is that right? If you don't manage your time well, you're going to live under pressure. If you don't manage your, your, your vision, there are a lot of people who've shared their dreams with me. When I do a dream checkup on them, they haven't made any progress towards getting that dream accomplished. And I'll, and I'll say, let's go back over our plan. Let's go back over what you were going to do in Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. Let's look at each quarter. And, and, and don't get discouraged. If you drop the ball, you still got more time. But the reason I'm bringing you this message, and you say, Pastor, why every year? Last year, I didn't do it. Last year, I just felt like God wanted us to go a different direction. But all year long, I kept bumping into people who were struggling. Friends, there's something about taking a look at the stewardship of our lives, not just our money, the stewardship of our marriage, the stewardship of our children, the stewardship of our health, the stewardship of our diet, the stewardship of our testimony in Christ. You have a testimony. If God has given you new life, you have a responsibility to tell everybody each day that Jesus Christ saves. You have a responsibility to share with them the goodness of God. You, we have to take measure. If not, we let a quarter slip by. We let a week slip by. And there's something that happens to people that if they lose a quarter, if they lose 12 weeks or 13 weeks, all of a sudden they feel like, I've lost the whole game. Friends, games aren't won in the first three quarters. Games are won in the fourth quarter. Somebody say, Amen this morning. <laughs> to my good friend who called my Georgia Bulldogs the Chihuahuas after the first half of the game, he wrote me back and said, I spoke too soon. Come on, victory. You win at the end of the game. <laughs> Don't get discouraged. Everybody in this room has made mistakes. Everybody in this room has wasted a quarter. Everybody has missed an opportunity. The difference is you go back and you look at what the vision and the dream was and you get out there and you play your heart out. I don't know what Kirby Smart said in that locker room, but I'd love to get a hold of it and bottle it and sell it because whatever he said, those boys came out and played like bulldogs instead of chihuahuas. And this morning, my prayer is the Holy Ghost to get a hold of your heart you'll understand you may be 60, you may be 70, you can still win this game. You can still win because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are filled with hope. We are filled with hope as we wait for the glorious return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I never dreaded a job review I never dreaded a test because there's something about managing well that gives you confidence. And there's something about managing well. Look at me. Don't you miss this. God wants you to hear this. Don't you miss this. There's something about managing well. You want Jesus to come back because you want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's how you can live without fearing death. It's how you can live without fearing the grave because death is not the end. The grave is not the end. 
if Jesus doesn't return before I die, my final resting place is not some grave. It will be with my Savior and glory forever and ever and ever. You see, we're filled with hope. He gave himself to rescue us from everything that is evil and to make our hearts pure. He wants us to be his own people and to be eager to do right. Do I appear eager to you this morning? (laughs) I want you to sense that eagerness. I want you to feel that eagerness. I want you to embrace that eagerness. Be eager to do what's right. And what is right is to be good stewards of the life that God has granted you this morning. He wanted us to be his own people and to be eager to do what's right. And then he says to young Pastor Timothy, teach these things and use your full authority to encourage and correct people and make sure you earn everyone's respect. God says, I want my people to know these things. And when when people are afraid to speak upon these matters because they are so personal, they are missing. God's people dry up for a lack of the hearing of the word of the Lord. We are here to be equipped as well so that we can do what God has called us to do in this life. And that's what we're going to be talking about next Sunday. You say, Pastor, why is this so important? I have to be really quick. And Mark, if you'll come on up. Number one, my happiness is proportionate to how well I manage. I know that. My happiness is proportionate. I marvel, I marvel at Becky. She runs two tax offices during this time of the year. She keeps just doing so much here at the church and makes her home a wonderful place. I'll call her something. I said, do you want me to pick up something? She says, no, I've got it taken care of. Once in a while, she'll say, oh, that would be such a help. I say, Becky, how do you do it? I say, how do you do it? And she says, is preparing. She says, it's looking ahead and being ready and preparing. And she says, if I'm not prepared, she says, honey, I lose my focus on everything else that I have to do. You see, your happiness is proportionate to how good a steward you are. I have thanked God over and over and over for not making me a woman. I am not man enough to be a woman. I'm not. I called daddy over one night to help me. This is before Amy was born. I was going crazy. Daddy came over, bought sandwiches, bought the longest day for us to watch, if you remember VCRs. We got the boys bay, we got the boys down, and I sat there and I looked at my daddy and I said, Daddy, I feel like such a wimp compared to Becky. I'll never forget my South Georgia daddy says, oh boy, don't worry about that. That's the way God made women. I'm not, my hat is off to you. But your happiness, my happiness, is proportionate to how well we manage. But our happiness in the future is going to be determined by how well we manage. You say, my happiness in the future? Yeah. Because some people are going to go in, and the Bible says their life is going to be like taking wood, hay, and stubble and putting it in a fire, and it's going to come forth 
and it's going to be like a little thimble crown. But then there are other people that they've taken and they've managed well, and their life is going to be like gold and silver and precious stones. And the crown that comes forth for you that you lay at the feet of your Savior, you're going to be so joyful to give. And as your pastor, I want you ready for that time. But I want you also to know that if you will manage well, God will give you more to manage because you're not going to heaven to do nothing. You're going to heaven to do something that God has created you for. So maybe you want to write these down. You have health. You have minds. You have ideas. You have dreams. You have visions. You have your job or your career. You have Pastor Mark. (laughs) Thank you, Pastor Mark. You have your career, your jobs. You have the planet that you live upon. So it involves, have I lost power? It involves money management. It involves managing the environment that you live in. It involves so much. But you also have, most importantly, as I close this message, you have the responsibility of sharing your faith in Jesus Christ with other people. So that's why I want to close with this. Be watchful and be ready. You don't know when Christ is going to come. And so as our ushers come this morning, we're going to receive our tithes and our offerings. Because finally, I haven't wanted this message to be about money, but stewardship does embrace the tithe. Stewardship embraces the tithe that we bring to God. Let me read you two verses here as we get ready to take our offering this morning. Proverbs 3 and verse 9 says, Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. And he will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest wines. Do you believe that? Let me ask, do you believe that? Honor the Lord. Give him the first part of all your income. Somebody said to me just before Christmas, he says, tithing's Old Testament. And I says, yeah, but it's New Testament too. Tithing existed before Moses. Tithing existed before the law. And Jesus said, you should tithe. They said, Jesus said that? And I said, yep, Jesus said that. I said, what made you think that tithing was Old Testament? Well, somebody told me that. Be sure that you're somebody that tells you stuff that you want to believe that they know what they're talking about. So let me ask you, do you believe this verse of Scripture? Then God says he will cause you to overflow. Why does he say that? The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Why? Keep God first. I heard Pastor Rick Warren say this one time when I met him. He told the story of a church that was 
didn't have very much parking. And so they went to the grocery store next door to them that closed on Sundays and says, can we use your parking lot for overflow parking? We will we'll gladly pay. And grocery store owner says, no, you can use it for 51 Sundays a year. And the pastor said, 51 Sundays? Why not 52? He says, because I never want you to forget that the parking lot belongs to me and not to the church. And friends, that's the purpose of tithing. God says, remember who gave you what you have. So don't call God a liar. If you are struggling to be a good steward, don't say, God, I believe you to save me, but I don't believe you can take care of me. If you're struggling to be a good steward, don't say, God, I'm praying to you, but I really don't believe your word. Put God first and let God bless your life as you put him first. And that's the place that's the hardest for most people to begin is because we forget we don't own it. God loans it. We manage it for his glory. And if we'll manage it according to his principles, God will cause it to overflow to us. When you become successful, don't say I'm rich and I've earned it all by myself. Doesn't that sound like modern day people today? Now just think about that. How many people do you know that says, I made it myself? It's mine. Jesus says, you fool. This night your life will be required of you. Then who's going to get what you said is yours? Instead, remember that the Lord gives you the strength to make a living. And that's how he keeps the promise he made to your ancestors. He doesn't rain down gold dust from heaven. He doesn't rain down money from the sky. There's no money tree. He gives you the strength to make a living. And then those that are among us that can't take care of themselves, God blesses us when we take care of them. So tithing is a reminder, and tithing says thank you to the Lord. Well, Father, we stand before you this morning, and we commit our tithes and our offerings to you. God, we commit our missions gifts to you. But Father, we, we understand that this is about so much more than money. This is about reading and understanding your plan. So I pray that you'll help every small group, you'll help every one of us to take these verses, maybe to listen to this message on the website or download it to our phone and listen to it over and over again until it gets deep in our hearts. That God, you have called us to be your partners. And when we manage well, Lord, we can live without pressure and we can live in abundance because you are the God who says, commit your ways to me, trust me, I will do this, and I will even, according to Psalm 65 and 11, make your hard paths overflow with abundance. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you as you give this morning.